it's learning stuff, documenting it afterwards, and then applying it immediately. Because if you don't apply it immediately, then it's less likely you're going to apply it in the future. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us, and he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, In addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with him to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, he's brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there and we built a relationship with him and Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, We have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor, but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got And assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt, equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, All you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. Um, But besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com and his phone number 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. We don't like that fluffy stuff. So we don't get into it. And we got with us today, Theo Hicks on Follow Along Friday. How you doing, Theo? I am doing well, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing well and looking forward to talking about what we got going on. And most importantly, who cares about what we got going on, but how about how that helps and relates to the best ever listeners? That's really the reason why we do the show. So what do you want to talk about today that can help some listeners out? So two things. One, I went and visited four of the properties that my management company manages this past weekend. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned last week, I had reached out to them to get a list of properties and they needed to get approval from the owners first. It sounded like they wanted to set up formal tours at the property and it was taking too long. And I realized that they had sent me a marketing package 
when we initially met and there's a list of some of the properties they managed. I wasn't able to locate all of them just because some of them weren't named specifically. There were just pictures of them, but I did find four. And so me and Marcella drove to those this weekend and it was on Saturday. So no one was in the leasing office. We couldn't go in there and talk to the managers, mm-hmm. but for some of the properties, I'm not really sure if it would have worked anyways, because they would have known right away that we probably <laughs> didn't want to live there just because the properties were in pretty bad condition. Uh-huh. So we went to four of those. One of them was beautiful. So that was one property that we definitely could have posed as tenants, but the gates were locked. We couldn't get in. And one of those gates that was like one of those arms that would go up for each individual person. So you couldn't yep. sneak in behind. Uh, yep. But it was a gorgeous property. So that made me very confident in our property management company's ability to reposition a property and maintain it. Did they reposition that one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But <laughs> two of the other properties were in pretty bad shape. One of them was actually a condominium. So essentially what we did is we just kind of drove around and took as many notes as possible about the condition. Our main focus was, number one, to see what the condition of the property was. And number two, see if we could notice any sort of renovations that were occurring. That way afterwards, we can go back to the management company and number one, ask some questions on if a property is not maintained well, why? And then number two, if we did find a property that you could tell that they're in the middle of renovations, which you were on one of them, we get an idea of how long it would take for them to complete those renovations. So I say, hey, I know this is a four-unit property. How long have you been working on these renovations for and when do you plan on being finished? That way I can gauge how long it would take for them to do it on a property that we buy. So after the trip, I would say I was concerned because one of the properties was really bad. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, there was boarded up windows. There was a construction paint on some of the exteriors. It looked like they had renovating it and then they just stopped. Okay. So I reached out to the management company and I said, hey, I went to your property. Here's what I really liked about this one specific property, but I have a few concerns because some of those properties are in pretty bad shape. And what they told me, I know we've talked about this before, but... Can I guess? Can I guess first? Yeah, guess. Well, the property management company isn't the one that brings the money or creates the business plan initially. Ideally, they approve the business plan, but a lot of the times the owner does not get their approval prior to purchasing or agreeing upon the terms with the seller. So once they get the property, they're set up to fail because they don't have the proper funding and support in order to actually execute a business plan and or the owner just doesn't want to do that. They just bought the property and they just want to sit on it and that's their approach. So what did they say? Both. So for for one of the properties, it looked like it was ugly. It looked like they hadn't painted in a while. They weren't really maintaining the landscaping. And for that one, they said that the owner doesn't want to pay for any of that. Because of the area, he thinks that having nice landscaping and hiring someone to clean up the property isn't worth the expense it costs because you won't get that back in rent. That was the first one. And another one you also mentioned was the funding. So on the, the property that looked like it had been hit by a bomb, Apparently, they're all condos, and someone owns a fifth of the condos, and that's who they represent. So he kind of has some pull, but they were talking about how it's HOA, and everything has to get approved, and they have no control. At the time, I didn't necessarily believe them 100%, Mm -hmm. but after I toured this property on Tuesday, I definitely reinforced my reason for selecting these people, Mm -hmm. because they definitely know what they're talking about. It was a little bit of both. The first one was that the owner just didn't want to do it. And the second one, it was hit by a storm and the owner couldn't afford to fix anything. Did you ask about insurance on the storm? I did not know. It's a good question to ask though. Yeah, well, 
it's getting into the weeds with them and they might not be able to provide that information. I was just curious. Yeah, but I think it's still a good question to ask because you're kind of probing more to see if they're (laughs) actually telling the truth, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, appearances can be deceiving and there's always two sides to every story, right? So if you had spoken or were to speak to the owners, they might have a slightly different slant, might back them up or might have a different story. Who knows? But a question that I would want to know is how long they've managed each of those properties. Do you know that? Mm-hmm. I have the information. The one that I know off the top of my head, just because it was the property that was most concerning was the one that had been hit by the storm. Mm-hmm. And it was in receivership for two years because they got it through a foreclosure. And then they were managing it for two years. Okay. So what I was looking for is if it's been a shorter time frame or maybe even a longer time frame, but you said they've been managing for four years. Yeah. The property was actually owned for two years because they were trying to buy some of the condos up initially too. Yeah. So that's why that's what their involvement was there in the receivership. And then they either didn't end up buying them or they end up selling them to this the management company. company. Yeah. Cause they're also investors too. Right. Got it. Okay. Well, the only thing I was getting at is sometimes a property management company will have certain standards that they have to live up to that is dictated by them. And they'll fire owners who don't put the money into the properties because it's just not a good reflection of their management. Mm -hmm. And that's their choice. So it's just up to the team. And I've seen management companies who won't work with owners who don't put money into the properties. And I know some, and then I know some who don't. So it's just their preference and how they choose to operate their business, which is totally up to them. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Thanks for sharing. So the two main thing they learned was number one, it was actually the third immutable law of real estate investing in practice, which is have adequate cash reserves because the storm comes literally not going to be able to afford to fix anything. And the condominium property was a perfect example of how that could spiral completely out of control and, have super low occupancy rates because people move out because the units aren't habitable. So number one. And number two is to always have a backup management company in mind. So the second I got home, I emailed all the brokers I've been talking to and asked them for management company recommendations. Number one, to have a backup. But number two is another kind of point of contact with the brokers to kind of stay top of mind. Yeah. And I know investors who have bought into condos in hopes of getting majority control and allocating repair dollars and it's just a hot mess godspeed if that's what you're looking to do because it's tough to buy all of them or buy the majority unless you already have a way to do that but if your business plan is dependent on being able to control where the maintenance dollars are allocated from the condo board then that's a flawed business plan Yep. And speaking of hot messes, I did a property tour this week on Tuesday, a formal property tour. I talked about this property last week and how I had visited it and its surrounding comps, but I wasn't able to obviously go inside the unit or actually walk around the community. So I did that. I went there with the president of the management company. So she was able to come with me. And my main goal going into it was just to get a much better understanding of the exteriors because before I only had about 500 grand allocated towards the exteriors, just kind of a placeholder, but I needed to go there with her so that she could look at the property with me and just give me a ballpark, even if it was within 20% of what the actual cost would be. So we got there and we did the tour and, and afterwards we sat in a car and talked for a while. And then 
right away that day, they sent me their feedback. So the owners are pretty well known in the area and they're known for the pump and dump strategy. Ever heard that before? Yes, I have, but please elaborate. So essentially when they get ready to sell, they do not screen tenants properly anymore. So essentially anyone that comes in, they just put them in the unit to boost their rent roll and to boost the NOI and get the highest purchase prices possible. And this is an assumption, but I'm assuming people that do those types of things also likely don't keep up with maintenance because this property has a ton of deferred maintenance. It's a fair assumption. I believe they've owned the property for about five years. And they've done a few things, like they replaced about half of the roofs and they replaced 50 of the 300-ish HVAC systems. Mm-hmm. But I think that's all they did. <laughs> we actually decided two of the model units. So the property has three property types, a standard, a premium, and then a signature. And they weren't very nice. The countertops looked like they were like spray painted on with like some sort of coating. The flooring wasn't nice. You could tell they put a new cabinet doors, but they were hung incorrectly. And so it's a perfect example of a pump and dump property. Mm-hmm. And so fortunately, I had a property management company that was kind of tapped into the market. And so they recognized the property name right away. So they were able to send me 40 pages worth of information on the property and the owners and kind of what to expect if I bought the property. And the two main things that they said was expect to pay at least $4 million for the renovations. So that's four, not 500,000. No, like <laughs> what is that? six to eight times more than I expected. And also they said, expect to roll over approximately 30% of the units because of the pump and dump strategy. And you're not going to know for certain what they did to qualify those residents until you do the lease audit once you buy the property. Mm-hmm. So once I plug in a $4 million rehab and they want $23 million. And so if you, the rehab is $4 million, then the amount of money you have to raise there really is no purchase price that makes sense unless you do some sort of bridge loan, which I'm not opposed to doing a bridge loan, but the, the problem is that there's so much deferred maintenance on the exteriors that it is impossible to make it up in the rents you're going to rate. Because I mean, most of the stuff is just making the property semi-habitable again. Like all the windows are not up to code, need to be replaced. They have railings on the second floor that aren't up to code or too short. Thank God I brought my property management company with me because I would have not noticed any of that. Most of the roofs are completely falling apart. They have three pools that work, but are hideous looking. And the landscaping is in very bad condition. And you probably need to resod the entire property because it's got that crabgrass looking stuff. And that's just bare minimum. And it's also, they also have a playground, barbecue area, dog park, really outdated laundry facilities, clubhouse. Are there, are there rental comps that support significant increases? No. The nicest property in the market, even at those rents, it still wouldn't make sense. It would be impossible to get this property up to that because it's, yeah. that property was built within the last five or six years. So at first I was like, oh, let's go home and buy the low ball offer. But it's not even make sense even to make an offer on this property. Yeah. You say low ball offer, but it's actually an offer based on its current value or the value that you place on it, not necessarily a low ball offer. You probably mentioned low ball offer because you know what they're looking for. Oh yeah, I know exactly what they want. Yeah, and in those types of deals where they're looking for a whole lot more, and I I mentioned this, I think last week, where they're looking for a whole lot more than what it should be or what it is worth and just give them time, stay in touch, give them time and then come back later. And you can also try and do some seller financing, but if they haven't gotten a reality check yet, 
on their valuation, then they're likely not going to be interested in seller financing. It's just once they get the reality check from the market, then you can come in with seller financing or something else that might make more sense for you. Yeah, if I guess either someone that's not from this area will buy it, someone from Seattle or the West Coast is used to $300,000 per door purchase price. Like, oh, this is like 80 grand per door. I'll just buy this up before someone else gets it. Every listener from Seattle just got upset with you, by the way. <laughs> I'm repeating what my broker told me. They were saying how oh, okay. there we go. people okay. come in from California and Washington and Oh, now, now you're bringing other people into the <laughs> Stop it, Theo. We are, are higher, the highest number of people who listen to this podcast are in California. Well, I just gave you the opportunity to defend them, so I'm not going to review <laughs> even more. <laughs> so just a quickly takeaways. One of the main takeaways is it actually reinforced my thoughts on our management company because, again, I was concerned – and you do have a great point about it'd be ideal to have a management company who would refuse to work with owners who don't maintain their properties. So I do have some backup boys in mind that I'll talk to, but these people are still at the top of my list just because of how they treated me during this property too. I mean, first of all, they showed up and so I've never had a deal before and they actually showed up. They've spent half a day with me at the property. Yeah, that's huge. And they sent me feedback the exact the same day too. They yeah. emailed me and they sent me a document that they put together the exact same day with a rent cap analysis and high level renovations quote. They also knew the owner, which means I know that they're at least semi-tapped into the, the market and know who the movers and shakers are. Mm-hmm. And then they also sent me a, a deal as well that they just recently listed that fell through because someone's 1031 just didn't work out. So that's what I did this last week. You've been active. Yep. I learned a lot last week. Well, on my lessons learned, I finished two books. One is Outrageous Advertising by Bill Glazer, and the other is Small Giants by Bo Burlingham. And anytime I read a book, well, not anytime, most of the times I read a book, afterwards I take notes on the book and I put it in a Word document. So I've got a folder on my computer, it just said book notes, and then each Word document are my notes on a book. So while I'm reading a book, I'm circling pages and highlighting and stuff. So I created notes for each of these books, and I wanted to share some lessons I learned from these books and what I've done as a result of learning those lessons, because I think that's the key. It's learning stuff, documenting it afterwards, and then applying it immediately, because if you don't apply it immediately, then it's less likely you're going to apply it in the future because you want to do it when it's top of mind. So I've got four things, three from one book and one from another book. And one of the things doesn't apply to my business, but I thought it was interesting. So I thought I'd mention it as one of my four things total. So three things from Outrageous Advertising by Bill Glazer. Overall, would I recommend the book? Mm, Yes, if you are needing help on copywriting or direct mail or direct response advertising, then this would be a good book. Otherwise, I don't know how valuable it will be for you, but I did get some lessons learned here, three of them. One is to collect testimonials and make a document for that collection of testimonials for the business. And he talks about what people say about you is at least 10 times more important than what you say about yourself. And I know from my experience in advertising, and this is backed up by research, that word of mouth referrals are the greatest influencer of purchase intent. So if we get word of mouth referrals, 
some person talking to someone else about your business, then that is going to be the number one driver of purchase intent compared to other types of ways they hear about you. Facebook ads, meetup, whatever else. So what I did after seeing how he methodically collected testimonials, and he goes into it a little bit, is I created a form and I had a team member of mine put it in DocuSign. So I've reached out to a couple investors who have invested with us multiple times and asked them if they would provide a testimonial. And the key here is not just asking for a testimonial. The key is the type of prompts that you give him or her to respond to. And what you ultimately want is for them to describe a specific outcome or a specific objection that we overcame. So a specific outcome we've achieved for them or a specific objection that they initially had and they overcame and now they're really happy. So for example, specific outcome is we've generated X amount of cash flow for them or we now have allowed them to earn more passive income and also gain credibility with lenders whenever they do their own deals because the lenders will see that they're a limited partner on a larger deal. And maybe they've closed on a deal as a result of it. So that's a specific outcome. A specific objection is I've never invested passively in a deal before. And now I got comfortable with Ashcroft Capital, Joe and his team. And now we've invested in multiple deals and it's great. And the reason why you do the outcome is because others can see something quantifiable that was achieved. The reason why you do a specific objective is others might have that same objective. And when they read this testimonial, then they see that we have addressed that objective. So that is one thing we've done. We've already gotten, I believe, a couple back from investors. And I don't plan on doing it often. I plan on maybe doing it maybe 15 times over the course of the year because I don't want to bombard investors, although I would only ask one investor to do it once. I wouldn't ask them to do it on an ongoing basis, obviously. So that's number one. Just a quick follow-up question. What do you do with that document? Is that something you send to the Good investor? Question. Yeah, I should have addressed that. The short answer is I don't know. I just know it's valuable to mm-hmm. have. I still have to figure that out. Ideally, I put them on the website on ashcroftcapital.com and or joefairless.com, but I'll have to ask our securities attorney to see if we can do that. I don't know. I'm not sure why we wouldn't, but I don't know. I'll have to ask the securities attorney. I think I should just talk to him about the testimonials I'm collecting and see where I can use them. So I don't know that answer. It would be a whole lot easier if we weren't selling securities for our deals. And then I know exactly what I'd do. I'd put them on the websites. I'd have a one-page document. I'd send it out to everyone that reaches out to us. But I just want to do it the proper way. I need to do it the proper way. I don't want to do it the proper way. That's number one, testimonial document. Number two is on a related note of testimonials, this is something that does not apply to my business, but it's something for anyone who has a brokerage or any type of company where you have customers call into and there might be a time where they're on hold. Instead of hold music, have testimonials be playing while they're on hold. It's such a simple 
addition to a process where someone might not have a good experience because they're on hold, but at least you're hearing other people who work with you and who have had good experiences. And so you're priming them a little bit. I just thought that was a cool little trick that should definitely be implemented for everyone who has that type of setup with their company. Number three is enter the conversation already in someone's mind. It's a powerful statement. Enter the conversation already in someone's mind. What's that mean? It means basically be relevant to your audience and think about what they're thinking about and then enter the conversation based on what they're thinking about because it's so much easier to have a conversation with someone if they're already thinking about that topic. So much easier. So how did we already put this into play? Well, we already put it into play because Halloween just happened and we wrote a couple articles on spooky things, right? Like 10 real estate tours turned haunted house experience. If you want to see some creepy things from real estate investors who we polled through our best ever community and then wrote a blog post on it, just search 10 real estate tours turned haunted house experience, Joe Fairless, and you'll see the article and you'll see some things that perhaps you want to unsee but you can't because you just looked at it. Well, that one picture, you know yeah. what I'm talking about. It still is stuck in my mind. <laughs> Me, too. Me too. The 10 real estate tours turned haunted house experience, Joe Fairless, and good luck to you unremembering that one. So that is more of a topical thing that we can do is focus more on what's top of mind for the customer at this point in time. But then also it's much more strategic and deeper than that because we always want to be thinking about what are their concerns? What are they thinking about? What do they need to resolve in order to move forward? That is why you and I are putting together the outline for our next book, which will be for passive investors. And that is why we sent out an email to our passive investors and asked them, what would you like to see in this book? Because we want to know what's top of mind for them that way we can incorporate it into the book. It's not rocket science, but it's very important. It's something that is necessary in everything that we do. And it's good, really quick, another powerful technique if you're writing a blog or I guess even doing a solo video or podcast where you're explaining some topic, you write a paragraph and once you write the paragraph, read it and be like, okay, so if someone's reading this, what's the natural follow-up question they'll have? And then literally write that out and be like, like now you may be thinking this and then answer their question. So that way, obviously if you didn't, put that transition sentence in there, it still makes sense, but it just lets you know that you're thinking of them and you're trying to get inside their mind. And I just know psychologically, it's a really powerful writing technique. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. And you know, just to take that a step further, whatever you come up with there, what they might be thinking about, think about the exact opposite stance and see if that's a logical stance. And if so, address that one too. Yeah. Sometimes it won't be relevant. Sometimes it will. That's a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that. And then the fourth thing, so one, collect testimonials, make a document, then do something with it because purchase intent is greatest when it's a word of mouth referral. Two, if you got a recording, when people call in, have your testimonials recorded there. By the way, there's a checkbox on the form that says, yes, you can use this in any and all marketing materials. So I want to make sure they check that. So that's two. Three is enter the conversation already in someone's mind. Talk about that. So those three were from Outrageous Advertising by Bill Glazer. The fourth one is from the book Small Giants by Bo Burlingham. And I have 
about a page and a half of notes from small giants. And I won't go into well, most of that. I'll just go over one thing I learned, but I took away a lot from small giants. I would recommend that to everyone listening. It's not a fast read, but he puts in a lot of case studies. It's pretty interesting. And what I found most interesting in the book is he goes through case studies and then the book that's out now, I think 10 years later, he's going back and talking about the case studies that were in the original edition and how those companies have done since then. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool that you read about what they've done during when he wrote it initially. And then in the same book, 10 years later, here are some things that some companies that he wrote about failed. And so we had to talk about how they failed and lessons learned there. So it's, it's got the benefit of a 10-year fast forward if you read the latest version. And the whole purpose of the book is to identify how a company can remain relatively small in number of employees. And that's defined differently. I forget exactly how it defines it, but five employees to 500 employees, which some might think 500 is not small, but relatively speaking, it is and with larger companies and how they thrive. And one of the things he said is, and this is a lesson, companies who are small giants are deeply rooted in their communities. Yeah. And that's been a focus of mine for the year. But when I read that, it reinforced it. So then the question becomes, what communities am I a part of that I really want to go deep into? And I have three that I've identified, although certainly they can grow. One is junior achievement. I'm on the board for junior achievement. Two is Texas Tech. And three is bigger pockets. Those are the three communities I'm already in. I'm already highly involved and there's potential for growth. My target audience is accredited investors. So there's potential for growth within each of those audiences or each of those communities to grow my accredited investor relationships. So specifically how I acted on something since I read this, which I just completed the book this week, I saw that Texas Tech is playing the first exhibition game in basketball against UTEP, University of Texas, El Paso. And the game was on Thursday of this week. And they are donating all of the proceeds from that game to the victims of the school shooting in Santa Fe. And I thought, what a great way to contribute to helping those victims if I were to donate tickets to the game so that people in Lubbock, Texas, yeah, I'm not going to the game. My wife's doing a week and a half, so I'm not going to the game, but people in the community in Lubbock could get free tickets that I purchase. It's free to them. I pay and the underserved people get to go to the game. I pay for the tickets and then the proceeds from that go to victims from a school shooting. So I thought, let's do it. So I bought 100 tickets to $10 each, so $1,000 to the game. And they're being donated to people in Lubbock who are not able to pay or in a tough position. And those proceeds are going to people in Houston. So that's something that I was initially interested in, in terms of going deep in communities. I'd already identified these three, but then this book inspired me to take action immediately. And I will continue to take action. For example, Bigger Pockets, by the way, I'm going to be sponsoring their newsletter starting November 22nd is the first day where their email newsletter that gets sent out three times a week, Ashcroft Capital is going to be sponsoring the top ad in the newsletter. And we're going to do it eight times over the course of the year. 
and test the ROI and see how that goes. So going deep and big with bigger pockets from an advertiser standpoint, we'll see what type of ROI we get from that. And then junior achievement still staying engaged there. Yeah, anyone that's listening to this can engage in the bigger pockets community. I post there 10 times a day and it takes an hour. And I cannot tell you how many messages I get from people thanking me for my posts or people I meet in person saying, oh, I saw you posted in bigger pockets. Mostly they know me from the show, but I do have people thanking me for the info that I post in the community. And obviously that's, that's great to hear. I'm glad I'm helping people, but you never really know what's going to happen in the long run. I've been doing it for about a month. I can't imagine what's going to happen after doing it for a full year. You know, the people I'm going to meet, the relationships I'll build, the messages I'll get. So everyone can start with that and then kind of grow from there. Because not everyone's going to be able to buy the tickets for the sporting game, but everyone can go on bigger pockets. It's free. And everyone can spend an hour of their day in the morning or at night going through the threads and posting on topics that are relevant to you that you actually know how to answer. Absolutely. Yep. And you're helping others along the way. You're getting your name out there, but with bigger pockets, you're contributing and helping others. And then the only other thing I'll mention on that, so that was the fourth, and this is kind of a sub bullet underneath, is they recommend doing employee gift matches at least two to one. So if an employee writes a check to a charity that they are passionate about, then you double that. So they all be doing that for you and the other team members. So any cause that you feel passionate about whatever you donate i'll double it the reason for that is oh many reasons but one of them is it's tough to always do research on what's the best cause and the person in the book the owner of the company that they're interviewing who did this he said there's some causes people donate to i personally wouldn't donate to but they have their own reason for doing it so i write a check and it's something that shows alignment of interest and ultimately we're not on this earth very long, so why not do what we can to contribute Mm -hmm. and support others who want to contribute? I'll pick up that Small Giants book. I think that's relevant to all real estate investors because we are, we're small giants. Most people aren't going to have a business of more than 500 people. Yep. Cool. Those are my lessons. Great. Just to wrap up, make sure you guys go to the Best Ever Conference website, besteverconference.com and pick up your ticket. We've got the third annual conference this year back in Denver. Or upgrading to the larger venue in the Opera House. So I'm looking forward to seeing Joe and other speakers up there on the, on the main stage. Each week, we're going to just have some sort of quick discussion about the conference. This week, we're going to talk about another speaker, back for the third time, Trevor McGregor, a.k.a. Coach T. If you listen to the podcast, you guys know who Coach T is. So Joe, you want to talk a little bit about what he might be telling people when he gives his presentation? Yeah, personal development. I don't know exactly what the presentation's on too early, but for anyone who attended last year, you'll know you'll get value from it. Most of the topics that we cover at the conference, it's a, well, 97% of them are very specific to commercial, real estate, financing, asset management, those sort of things. But we do have personal development sprinkled in as it should be and Trevor does a phenomenal mm-hmm. job there. So when you attend, you will meet him in person and also benefit through developing in some form or fashion personally as a result of hearing the conversation. Yeah. If there's something that you've wanted to get done for a long time, but have lacked the motivation, you'll be able to do that once you listen to Trevor talk because he has a way of getting you very jacked up and wanting to take on everything. So. Mm-hmm. 
I'm looking forward to seeing him again and hearing him talk. And then lastly, make sure you guys and girls pick up the best ever apartment syndication book on Amazon and leave a review, take a screenshot and send it to us at info at Joe Fairless. And we will send you a whole bunch of apartment syndication goodies. And we'll read your review on the show. This week's review comes from Michael Taravella Jr. And Michael said, I would rate this book 10 out of 5 stars. After doing nothing but reading this past weekend, I feel entirely comfortable with the process. Joe and Theo did an amazing job of going through the entire process, the costs associated to every step of the process, and who is needed. They provided a perfect roadmap to successfully land a deal. More importantly, Joe and Theo did an amazing job of walking through the paradigm shift it takes to become a successful investor. They truly are remarkable people, and I can't thank them enough for this book. Well, thank you for that glowing review, and thank you for investing your time to read it and now taking action on those tips. So very grateful. And everyone, when you buy the book and you read it, please leave us a comment on Amazon so that we know your thoughts. And then that also helps others learn about the book. We've gotten many emails from people who have sent us the receipt because we give them a document. And by the way, if you have the book and you haven't sent us the receipt, then info at joefairless.com, just forward your receipt. And they say, after reading all the reviews on Amazon, I bought the book. And so it does make a difference. Thanks everyone for hanging out. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and most importantly got value from it that you can apply to your real estate business and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is M B E L. S-K-Y at easterneq.com. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net.